Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Thank you, Laura. Okay, everybody, we're going to talk about money this morning, and we're going to start with a little game. We have these t-shirts here because next week... Um, we're going to have, they say, find your passion. They're really nice, really soft t-shirts. And for anybody who um, brings a friend next week, we're going to give you and your friend uh, a free t-shirt just to prove that you're in church on Sunday. But we want to start with this. We want to start with a little trivia game. We're going to play, we'll play some music. So, uh, and we're going, to, we're going to need you just to, you know, on your best behavior. So if you hear somebody get the answer to it, just point to them, right? And we're going to throw a t-shirt out. Does that make sense? So you got to be honest and point. You get the right answer point. So who knows, the, who's, what's, what band is this? Blink Floyd. Who got it right? Who got it first? You, you fell. You got it first. Okay, there's a guy shirt, right? We got guys and girls shirts. Okay, here's the thing. Here's the question. What is the fastest growing segment of commercial real estate in the United States of America? Fastest growing segment of commercial real estate in the United States of America? Huh? Huh? Commercial. Commercial real estate. I don't think I've heard it yet. Let's show them the picture, David. Who got that? Anybody get it? If you got it right, if you got self-storage. You thought about it. Who got it? Who said self-storage? Somebody did. Somebody over there? Is it a guy or a girl up there, David? Girl. Okay, my cutoff man. There he is. Okay, so cumulatively, right, collectively, how much do Americans spend paying somebody to store their stuff every year? Now, what's the big number? What's it? Huh? Uh, uh, no, no, the big number. Uh, all of Americans pay this money. Five, how much? 20 million. 20 million. 500 million. Four hundred 
Let me give you a hint. It starts with a B. <laughs> All right, 12 billion is the answer. Who got 12 billion? 12 billion. 12 billion. Up, up there, you think you got 12 billion? Said 20. Anybody? Get, anybody? Anybody? Huh? All right, David, David, David. Let me give you a couple shirts. You figure it out, okay? There you go. There's another shirt for you. Another shirt for you, okay? All right, what I got for you? Oh, how many items are in the average American home? How many items in the average American home? <clears throat> Five thousand, five thousand. Okay, here's the answer. Three hundred thousand. Who got closest? Who got three hundred, three hundred, three hundred, three hundred? Somewhere behind here. Wait, 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 wait. You, I. She heard me give me the answer. He's cheating. He's cheating. Heard me give the answer this morning. Okay, okay. Who got it? They didn't know the answer first. Three hundred thousand. Three hundred thousand. Three hundred. Anybody? David. Who is it? Oh, come on, Dave. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here, David's gonna give you a t-shirt out. Okay. All right. Here we go. Next one. Uh, all right, tell me this guy's uh, name. N not the Pokemon, not the Pokemon. <laughs> Pokemon, you know the guy's name? Pikachu. Pikachu, okay, the other guy. Not the Pikachu. The other guy. Name. Okay, did, did anybody think they got it right? I don't know, I can't pronounce his name. So <laughs> anyway, all right, David, who wants a t-shirt? Anybody, okay, there we go, there we go. Anybody else? I have a girl's shirt. Okay, there we go. Girl's shirt. Excellent. All right, last question. How much money did uh, he spend playing Pokemon Go on his cell phone? Huh? Huh? How much? Cell phone bill. Cell phone bill. Half a million dollars. You think he spent half a million dollars playing? Woo! Man, that's him. $5,000. Who got it? It was $5,000. $5,000. Okay, David, figure it out. David, David's going to help you. David's going to help you. Okay, there you go. Uh, bring a friend next week. You'll get one of those shirts, you and your friend both. You don't eat free, but you have a shirt for free. All right. All right, let's talk about this green jug over here, if I can, real quick, everybody. We can kill the music. No more Pink Floyd. Great song, though. Everybody like Pink Floyd? A couple of you do. A couple of you like Pink Floyd. <clears throat> okay, here's the, here's the thing. Um, my first job, I was working for a church. Well, my first job in the ministry, okay? My first position, I was working for a church, Aberdeen, Maryland. They paid me $75 a week. I was making big money, man. I was so excited about $75 a week. And here's the one thing I knew at that time. I knew I wanted to make more. Do you, do you, do you know what I'm saying? Is that okay? Is, so they eventually raised me to $200 a week. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've almost tripled my income. I'm feeling good, you know? And then I got out of, I got out of college and I really wanted to get a job um, at UPS because uh, they were paying at UPS really, really good. So, man, if I could, God, if you just give me that job, and I got the job at UPS. And that was kind of a tough place to work, to be honest with you. But I got the job at UPS. And I'm like, man, this is good. And now the, my next thing is I'm living in Arlington County. I said, you know what? I really need to buy a house. Oh, man, Lord, if you can just give me, I'll be so happy. I never asked for anything else. If you just give me a house, right? If you just give me a house in Arlington County, can I get a house? And you know what? Here's, here's what happened. First of all, there was a miracle. We got a house. But can I tell you what led up to the miracle? Before the miracle hit, uh, my wife and I lived with my parents for one year. So you just need to know that. You think that's bad? You think that's bad? Then after that, we live with my in-laws for a year. <laughs> Give me a house, Lord. Give me a house. Give me a house. I got a house. 
I got a house. I was so happy. And then we had kids and the house was so small. It's like, Lord, if you just please give me a bigger house and make more money, please. And so we just kept working and working and working. And my goodness, I was on staff at a church. I ran a business full time and I went to seminary full time. Don't ask me. It was absolutely crazy. But you know what happened? We made enough money and we got this bigger house. Oh, man. And you know what? I said, Lord, if you can just, just get me up to that level, I'll never ask for anything again because I'll be so satisfied with life, you know? Like my cup is completely full. Do you know what I'm saying? Does anybody know what I'm saying? Do you ever wanted something really bad? You ever wanted like a toy when you were a kid really bad? Oh, mom and dad, if you just... If you just give me that toy, I'll never ask for anything again. God, if you just give me that salary, if you give me that job, I'll never, ever, ever ask for it because I will just be so satisfied and full. There's a great story in the book, Freebird. Some of you have reading it. My group is going through this book, my community group. This is awesome, Freebird. And there's a story in there about a bicycle. Right? Always wanted a bike, and the question was, and it just, do you know where the bike is today? No, I have no idea where it is. You know why? Because everything has like this diminishing return to it, right? So here's the first thing. I want to do a couple, couple things real quick. All right, everybody? I'm going to try to be focused. I'm going to try to be brief because Ecclesiastes says the more the words, the less the meaning. So, so we're going to try to do this quick. All right, here's the first thing I want to tell you. I want to tell you how to make more money. First thing I want to tell you, how to make more money. Yes. You didn't know you're coming to an Amway convention this morning. <laughs> how to increase your income. Here, here's, I said this last week. Right? I'm mowing my lawn, and I'm listening to this study from Harvard, right? And I'm mowing my lawn, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. All these years hearing scriptures about, you know, money and giving, and it's more blessed to give to see, and I'm listening to this, and I just I burned a hole in my lawn just thinking, did I hear that right? And I'm rewinding, rewinding, rewinding. Here's what they did. Harvard took uh, 30,000 families across America, 41 counties across America, and what they grouped them in is we want to get everybody in different groupings, like different big bowls, okay? Uh, you got to be uh, same, same, same religion, same. Uh, uh, same race, uh, same uh, economic, well, same um, educational level, same amount of kids. If you are married, right? So they took all kinds of people, single, married, married with kids, right? And they got everybody the same. Everything was the same. They lived in the same town. Everything is the same. Does that make sense? Everything is the same. And here they said, now let's separate it. This. Now that we got the same, then we have same, 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 same. Let's divide the sames this way. What if f- family A or person A gives money to charity, and what if family B doesn't? Well, how does that affect our economy? Is there any kind of effect? Okay, and here's what they found. If family A has the same thing as everything as family B, watch this. If family A has everything the same as family, but family A gives $100 a year to charity, their income is $375 more. That's an exact number. And this is what they found. Here's what all the data showed them. For every dollar you give away, to a good cause, for every dollar you give away to a good cause, your income is increased in the future by $3.75. I read that and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, all these scriptures I read over the years, I'm thinking, I hope it's true, right? <laughs> Here is all this data showing this. So Alex uh, Zemek is going to come out. I, um, we, I did something this past June. I would have never done this early on in my ministry because I would be afraid. And I'll tell you why, I, uh, why I'd be afraid because I'd be afraid everybody would see it as just some goofy gimmick. And some of you are still going to see it as a gimmick. You are. I know it. And I'm never going to convince you, but okay. I've put that aside because I'm older now. <laughs> How old are you? I don't know. Uh, in June, we did something called a tithing challenge. Tithing is where you give 10% of your income you know, to God. 
right? And uh, I've become so convinced over the years because of the, Alex is getting ready to tell you his story. I've heard so many stories. And so what I said there was, is, okay, just try it for a month. If it doesn't work, if something significant doesn't happen to you, right, by giving 10% of your income to God, then we'll just give you all your money back. And I know that sounds like a gimmick, but here's the thing. I've heard so many stories. So one day Alex and I are talking and he tells me this story. And I was like, oh, man. Would you be willing to share that story? And he said yes. Now, last thing before Alex speaks. This is an all-Yale Sunday on the platform this morning because Laura, who read this morning, is from Yale, and Alex is a Yale man himself. I'm a Harvard man, but uh, <laughs> they laughed the same way in the first service when I said that. And, and I don't know what that means, but Alex is going to talk to us. Uh, tell, us uh, tell us what you know, big guy. Hi, everyone. Uh, as John mentioned, I'm Alex Semek. Um, I've been coming to Grace for over 12 years, and um, I have a wonderful wife, Molly, and three, uh, three amazing boys, Peter, Luke, and Andrew. And yeah, Pastor John had originally approached me about talking at the September 11th service to talk about my experiences uh, being on Wall Street that, uh, that fateful day 15 years ago. But then I was you know, sharing with him um, the story about what happened and how I really felt and saw God working during the, the tithing challenge this summer that you know, he asked me to talk about something different. And I've been going to church my whole life, you know, starting as a little kid, putting quarters in, a, in an offering basket, or when I became a teenage member of, of the congregation I went to, you know, making an annual, annual pledge or the weekly, weekly checks in the box. And I've tried to give and always try to, you know, give more each year. But I'll confess that it wasn't until John's challenge that I ever, you know, came close to tithing. And perhaps it was my public policy frustrations with our tax code and thinking, oh, well, it was an involuntary mandatory payroll deduction, you know, same as, same as giving. But I think that's not what, I don't, I don't think that's what, you know, Paul meant in, in 2 Corinthians um, 9, 7, when he, when, he, when he says, you know, each man should give what, what he's decided to give in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So despite my, you know, worldly, earthly uh, frustrations, I'm realizing that I need to focus more on the permanent and abide in Jesus's um, words from Mark 12:17. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God's. And God has given us so much, our free will, our salvation. He, del- he deserves those first fruits. So for the past year or more, I've been frustrated with, um, you know, how things were going in my, in my career. And I've been praying and I'd been praying to God, you know, regularly for, for more direction because I felt I was having a, a series of a different professional letdowns and that I wasn't in the right place. And, um, and this spring, I was contacted about a, an opportunity that seemed like ideal. It was going to meld much of my previous experiences, coupled with more management, which is what I was seeking. And I made the, the first round of the interview for this exciting executive position. But alas, you know, a week later, I found out that I did not get the position. And I, I continued praying. Fast forward a few weeks to June, and the John's Tithe Challenge starts, and despite a tight home budget with free school tuitions and an ongoing bathroom renovation and mortgage, et cetera, I said to, to Molly, my wife, you know, I want to give mightily and, you know, even, even more than strict tithing. So, um, and that Sunday night after the, after the first uh, tithing offering, we were talking with a, a former um, member of our community group that now lives out in California. I was updating them about, you know, my frustrations with, with work. And, um, but also I casually mentioned that, oh, I had this unique opportunity, you know, the month before. It seemed ideal, but it didn't work out. Lo and behold, on, on that next Tuesday, probably the day when, you know, my check cleared through, um, I received a call that the president of the organization 
um, wanted to talk with me, that the board of directors felt that, uh, that I was you know, the candidate that they actually were looking for, that had the, the skill set that they wanted uh, for the position they wanted to talk further. So here I am now. I've started in a new role uh, three weeks ago, and I believe it's the, the challenge and the experience I was, I was praying for. Now my prayers are probably more focused on how I can actually, you know, do the job well. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, I, don't, I haven't figured out if it's uh, the 3.75 ratio that, that John had talked about in the Harvard study, but it, it you know, did come with a, with a raise, which is, which is nice. And also during that, that time, um, we had some unexpected, you know, family support towards the school tuition bill. So it really was, you know could really see God moving during that that challenge. And this anecdote is not to say that I'm still not going to struggle between serving two masters, God and money, as Jesus refers to in Matthew 6:24, but fortunately I have, you know, a godly wife uh, and Molly to help keep me accountable. And I've, you know, can I feel that I have further hope now about putting my my trust and my money with God, um seeing the amazing things he can do with it. And fortunately, you know, we each have our currency as a, as a reminder, because printed on there can, you know, help us to focus on the permanent, as it says, uh, in God we trust. Thanks, Alice. Big round of applause. Well, now's a good time to take an offering. Uh, <laughs> no. Look, so, if you hear the first time, you're like, what in the world's going on here? Uh, you know, I would, again, I would have never done it. And I'm sure some of you are going to think that's kind of a gimmick. We never take an offering. We're not going to take up an offering today. Uh, I think between the Bible, I think between what data shows us, I think between life experience, there's something here to be thought about. Uh, David, let's look at our guy there on, on, on the picture. So, remember him from last week, everybody? Remember him? What's his name? You know, it's amazing that, you know, Jamie over here in my community group said in the group this past week, he says, you know, it was amazing that hardly anybody knew who he was last week. So this guy died in 1937, so it's not like it's been so long he's gone. He's worth $350 billion. I didn't say million, $350 billion. Uh, he didn't start out that way, everybody. You know, a lot of times we say, you know, when if I make more, I'll give more. That doesn't actually happen, that, and that's a statistical fact uh, across the board on average. We don't. So this guy, because his, his dad had created such chaos in his home, particular financial chaos in his home, he, he didn't graduate high school. You know why? He was a month away. Uh, and his dad had created so much chaos, and his dad was marrying like a second wife in another city, uh, and so he had to support the family. So at the age of 16, a month away from graduation, he hits the streets, and for one month, 8 o'clock in the morning to 5 o'clock at night, every day for one month, rejection, 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 rejection. He just goes through it. Finally, he lands a job, not making hardly anything, as a bookkeeper. But you know what he begins to do? We know this because he kept a ledger on every dime he ever spent, every penny he ever spent. Uh, he began to give away when he had nothing. And when he was responsible for his family as a 16-year-old young man, uh, he started giving 10, 15, 20% away. And he kept that up throughout his entire life. John D. Rockefeller did. And so I just think there's, 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 something, there's something to that. And I said last week, you know, Spelman College, his wife's name was Seti Spelman. And that's where we get Spelman College from, or University, University of uh, Chicago. He gave very aggressively to African-American educational causes, very much so. And we're talking, this is back in the 1860s and 70s. Uh, his in-laws, who were quite well-to-do, he was not well-to-do young in life, although he became fabulously well-to-do. Um, you know, he would never propose to his wife because they were well-to-do until all of a sudden he became enormously wealthy and then everybody's okay with it. 
but his, his, his in-laws, the Spellmans, were well-to-do, but were very active in the Underground Railroad in um, Cleveland, Ohio. And he says this, you know, about his in-laws. He had never saw his very strict Baptist. And some of you know what I mean when I say that, and others are like, what does that mean? And whatever. So uh, never would cook on Sunday, right, because that's work. He said, the only time I ever saw my mother-in-law cook on a Sunday was when a whole huge group of people who were spending the night at the Spellman's house from the Underground Railroad were there, and she got up and she cooked them all this fabulous meal. And so right from the start of his life, when he had nothing, he was a giver. And I'm just saying, between the Bible, between data, and between personal life experience, there's something to that, and I just wanted to throw that out there. Now, now that I've said all that, I do want to say this to you. Let's come back over to the jug. See what's happened to the jug? Okay. So I need to say, first point is how you make more money. Second point is this, all the money you make will be meaningless. So yes, please increase your income a whole lot, but you just need to know this. It's going to be totally meaningless to you because you're going to say, I got to get this possession. I got to get this pay grade. I got to get all this. But what you're going to find when you get there and you actually get it, that you're not going to be satisfied because it's a temporary thing. And so we have to seek our satisfaction. That's what Ecclesiastes is about in something that's permanent. Jesus Christ is permanent. God is permanent, right? So we have to seek our satisfaction. And that's the only way we're going to be fully satisfied. All these things, and it's a proven fact, will lead us empty. They did a study, lots of studies. You've heard the study. You've seen the things done on TV. I'll tell you the latest one I read. They took 22 people who won the lottery. They took 22 average Joes and Josies, right? And they took 29 people who suffered sudden paralysis. So you have three groups of people. So the happiest people on the planet should be the 22 people who suddenly won the lottery, Correct. That should be the happiest people on the planet. And they compared their lives with the 20 who, who didn't, just average people, and the 29 people who, sud who experienced sudden paralysis. And this is what they found. The 22 people who won the lottery had a brief spike in happiness and satisfaction. Woo! Like they went way up here, right? Uh, but then actually they slipped back below their happiness levels that they had before they won the lottery, and they dipped below the 22 who hadn't. Let's go to the paralysis people, the 29 who experienced sudden... After they experienced a big dip because of the shock that all of a sudden they're paralyzed, that all of a sudden they're paralyzed, after they had that terrible dip, they actually had more optimism about the future than the people who won the lottery. There's data. So all this data, you know, we're going to get to the end of this and you're going to say, oh, John, thanks for all the data. Uh, um, so we're actually going to need a relationship with something that is eternal that will give us the satisfaction because what we find in from studies is that people will put a high value on money and possessions if they don't have a strong relational network in their life. And the relationship I want to focus on the most here today is our relationship with Jesus Christ. All right, let me say something about Ecclesiastes if I can real quick. Each week I want to try to say something about it just so we can get an idea of all this that Laura read a few moments ago, all this meaninglessness that sounds so depressing, why it's so brilliant, why it is absolutely, anybody ever have a great philosophy professor, anybody ever a great philosophy professor and that you left the room and you're kind of sweating a little bit and frustrated, right? That is what this is about. This is, this is the most unique book in the entire Bible. You know why? Because it's the only book in the Bible written from the viewpoint of a skeptic. Only book. You won't find it anywhere else. Written from the viewpoint of a skeptic who is asking questions, not giving answers. All the books of the Bible give you answers, except for Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes only, like the Socratic method, is only asking questions, not giving any answers. Because it's pushing us to ask the deep stuff about life. Pushing us, like Socrates says, an unexamined life is not worth living. Pushing us to examine life. And what we do instead is we all kinds of stuff to make ourselves busy. And so this is why Ecclesiastes is so fantastic. What are the big questions? Where are we from? What is our purpose? What is moral truth? What happens when we die? How do we think about this? 
So basically, if everything under the sun, this is the same thing he says all the time, under sun, under sun, under sun. What does that mean? It means there's nothing above the sun. So if this is all there is, what does that mean? There's this question. So in other words, if everything's random about your life, if, if your origin of your life is completely insignificant and random, just randomly came together somehow, right? If, it's, if your origin's insignificant and your destiny is insignificant, here's this question to you. Doesn't that mean that your life is insignificant? Here's what I asked my community group this week. This is what we're going to talk about in group uh, coming up. I said, look, everybody need to be ready to answer this question. Is your life significant? Do you have any significance whatsoever? And if you say yes, you've got to be ready to defend your position. Do you have any significance if the only thing that exists is under the sun? Let's go over some verses here, all right? It's on the back of your bulletin or it'll be on the screen behind me. I just want to go through a couple of them, right? All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full, right? It's never full. It should be full. They're all full. The eye never has enough seeing. The ear never has enough hearing. I can't get satisfied. It's like Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, the way the Bible begins. Adam, Eve, right? There you are, naked together in the garden, and you've got everything is yours except for one tree. And what they say? Can we talk about that one tree over there? Because there's never enough. David, let's show him the picture. Let's see if everybody knows who this guy is. Who is he? He'll get to it. Who, who's that guy? Who is he? Who is he? Mr. Burns. Is Mr. Burns rich? Yes, he is rich. He is rich. And so Homer says to him one day, Mr. Burns, you're the richest person I know. And what does Burns say back? Yes, but I'd give it all up for something more. Right? Because it's never enough. We're never, we always want more, doesn't matter how much money you make. And that's why Rockefeller, $350 billion, says, My vast fortune never brought me any happiness. Never. Back to the scripture. I have seen all the things done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. The more knowledge, the more grief. What does he mean by that? You know, Arlington County, I've said this many times, is, is, is the most educated county in the United States of America, right? This is true about Arlington County, right? So there's a, no, a lot of knowledge in this room. What he's saying here is that knowledge, right? Like the knowledge of the tree of good and evil in Genesis, right? Knowledge is experience. When you have experience with stuff, you realize that that is meaningless, Meaningless, but we're going to chase it until we experience it. We always think there's something more. I will test you with pleasure. Here's where it gets real good. I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good, but to also prove to be, but has also proved to be meaningless. This guy is going to test pleasure out, everybody. Here's the thing people come to me, hey, John, I don't know if I believe in God. Actually, I think I don't believe in God. And, you know, life, I just, why? What's going on? Well, pain. I mean, all the pain and the suffering in this world. How can we believe in a good God? There's all this pain and suffering in the world. Okay. We're not talking about that today. Here's what never happens to me. No one ever comes to me, hey, John, I don't think I believe in God. It's all meaningless. Why? Pleasure. I mean, there's so much pleasure. On, I just can't take it. There's so much pleasure. Why is that? Because we all get to experience pain, but not everybody gets to experience unlimited pleasure. Is that correct? 99.9999% of us don't get to do that. So how are we going to know? So what do we do? We chase it. We chase it like the wind is what the writer is saying. Like the dog chasing the car. What happens when the dog catches the car? What happens then? Takes a big bite out of that moving tire. There's going to be a problem. There's going to be a problem. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guiding me with wisdom. What is he saying? I tried to forget myself in wine. I tried to forget myself in football. I tried to forget myself. 
I try to get busy. You know what we do in America? We get real busy. That way we don't have to think about the meaninglessness of life. This is what he talks about in Ecclesiastes. I amassed silver and gold for myself. Yes, it's good. I acquired male and female singers, so music, money, and a harem as well. Unlimited sex, everybody. The delights of a man's heart. And all this wisdom stayed with me. What is he saying by this wisdom thing staying with me? What he's saying is his wisdom just keeps breaking through. Hey, man, everybody told me it was going to be great, right? The TV show was great. The movie said it was great. All the people around me said, it's going to be great. Do it. But I did. I don't want to, you know, tell you what the truth is, but it left me empty, right? This is what he's saying. Wisdom keeps staying with me. It's empty. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. Unlimited power and money. I refused my heart no pleasure. Wow. Everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Pleasure failed him. We know that pain fails us. We know that pain, a lot of, but here he's telling us that pleasure fails us. So talk about a couple different studies that have been done. Time Magazine did a cover piece just recently about pornography. All right. This guy has unlimited women. So for the first time, in the history of the world, an average Joe with a computer can have a harem full of women, all right? A whole harem full of women and can experience unlimited pleasure from a harem full of beautiful women. Now, 30, 40, 50 years ago, I was like, hey, what could be wrong with that? What could be wrong with that? I've actually had wives come to me and say, yeah, I'm really crazy that he's doing it, but, you know, if he needs it, okay. Couldn't be a problem. Not going to cause a problem. Oh, it's going to cause a problem. It's going to cause a problem. I've had very educated wives come to me. It'd be okay. I said, no, this will be a problem. This will be a problem. And sure enough, it is always a problem. So here is what Time Magazine said in their article. This was their focus on their article, is that young men now who have had 20 years of pornography are giving it up because it's backfired on them big time, that they're totally dissatisfied, that they're empty, that they're lonely that they can't have a real relationship with a real woman, that they're giving up, and they'll say, they're very clear about this, has nothing to do with morals. This is, this did not work. Unlimited pleasure did not work. Now, Washington Post did an article recently. Their focus was on the dangers of pornography. Now, we were told, some of you are old enough to remember these things, okay? But we were told 20 and 30 and 40 years ago, oh, man, come on. Consenting adults, everything's okay. Don't try to censor. What are you doing? It's all good. It's not a problem. Right? It's not a problem. Here's what we found. Here's what we found. You see what's happening on college campuses? 20% of women on college campuses will be sexually assaulted. What they found is, is that a very large portion of males who view pornography will say, I will rape a woman if I will not get caught. I will do that. And there's always aggression physically and verbally towards women when it is introduced. Okay? Washington Post. You can look up the article. Pleasure fails us. Shouldn't? It does. Uh, Last article. UVA did a study. Um, Look, we want experience, right? We get a job. You want to hire the person who has the most experience or you want to get experience yourself so you can get a great job. Am I correct? Is anybody's, are we okay? Has it become really boring? Is it, is it like, 
This sex stuff is really boring. Let's stop talking about it. Uh, so they did this study. Uh, everybody will be over in a minute. I know I'm, I'm right up on my time, but I'm going to get through this. Um, they did a study. We all want experience. They said, yeah, you need experience to get a great job. Get as much experience as you want. And so, you know, what have you heard people say? Right? So well, I'm not going to I'm not going to buy a car until I test drive a car, right? I'm going to test drive my car. You all know what I'm talking about, right? Okay? So I can figure it out. You know what I found everybody over the years is for some reason people seem to figure out sex once they get married. Uh, somehow miraculously they've been doing this for for years, but we'll say we're going to test drive it. So here's what the here's the conclusion. Here's the ready? UVA said this. This is not some church espousing this. UVA. They said, you know, experience is great everywhere but not romantically and not sexually. Like the more experience you have sexually, the more it undermines your ability to have a meaningful romantic sexual relationship in the future. UVA, okay? Pleasure fails us. Do you know who are the most sexually satisfied people in the United States of America? Married couples, not honeymoon couples. Not honeymoon, not out romping on their honeymoon. No, no, I'm talking about people that have been married and are committed to each other for quite some time. We wouldn't think that if you watch the movies or listen, listen to the radio, right? Am I correct on that? You'd think it's, oh, man, just getting it. Okay, we're done. That's all I want to say about that. Now, I've said all that. Here's how we're going to end the plane. How to make your money endless. How to make your pleasures endless. This is where we've got to land the plane. So what is endless, all right? God is endless. I, I already told you Ecclesiastes is extremely unique book in the Bible? Let me tell you, Ecclesiastes has one of the most unique verses in the entire Bible where it says, God said eternity in our hearts. What does that mean? Eternity is endlessness. You and I, everybody, have a passion. I, I made, this, I made, I made um, the argument for this last week with we are more intensely religious than ever according to the Gallup study, much more intensely religious. We have a passion, a desire to find something that's endless. It's in us. And that's not sex, and it's not money, and it's not possessions, and all the data is showing that. And what the data is showing us actually is that we have a desire for God. So we have to connect with God in a deep, powerful, and a spiritual way. So... Ecclesiastes doesn't offer any answers, right? But the answers to us we find in the New Testament, particularly John chapter 1. And here's what it says. In the beginning was the Word. This is a concept. This, this word, word, is a Greek concept the philosophers talked about, the famous Greek philosophers talked about, logos, the meaning of life. Where are you going to find it? And so the Bible says, here's the meaning of life. And you come out and find out later it's Jesus he's talking about. Here's the meaning of life. And the Word was with God, and the words was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Socrates said this about happiness. is The secret to happiness is not found in seeking more, but in developing the capacity to enjoy less. And what I want to say to you is Jesus Christ will help us to develop that capacity. Philip Yancey, who was a writer, uh, has a friend that went to a monastery, and uh, he was going to check himself in. There's nothing in this monastery. You live a very simple life. The monk walks into the room and opens the door and says, okay, sir, here you go. If you need anything, let me know. We'll teach you how to live without it. <laughs> there's this great book. I highly, there's lots of books on minimalism, but this is, this is a great book. By Joshua Becker, okay? He says, the goal of minimalism, right, is to unburden our lives. Here's the thing. We just cloud our lives up with full calendars and schedules and possessions and new gadgets and toys, hoping 
to cover up the meaninglessness that is there. What I want to say here in conclusion, everybody, when we have a relationship with somebody that is eternal, this gets confused all the time. It gets confused for me too. Jesus Christ is not a set of rules or ideas. Every religion in the world says over here, it says, look, follow these rules, okay, and you're going to be happy. Do these rules. There's no mystery about it. Do A, B, C, D. Every religion in the world does that, that I know of, that I've studied. Every single one of them does that. Christianity, radically different. So over here, trust that, trust in me that I can do these. Does that make sense? Trust in me that I can follow these commands. Christianity says, trust that you'll never do any of these things. You'll blow it. You're not a, but trust that he did it. So the trust is in a different place. In Christianity, right, the trust is in Jesus. In every other religion in the world, the trust is in me, that I can fulfill this set of rules. Trusting in Jesus Christ is not entering into a relationship of rules. It's entering into a relationship with somebody who is eternal, Jesus Christ, who comes down and rescues us rescues us from ourselves rescues us from our desire that is always going to burn within us to want more and never be satisfied here's what i want to challenge you with today we've been talking about these uh these notebooks 17 cent notebooks if you haven't been here in the last two weeks we talked a lot about this watch the watch the um, videos and and you'll understand why here's the thing here's what i want to challenge you with what would happen if you dedicated your pleasures to jesus christ what would happen if you wrote it right here in the beginning you know what jesus i'm dedicating my money I'm dedicating my sex. I'm dedicating all my possessions to you. I've tried to make them have meaning to me. I've tried to make them satisfy me. It's not working. So for the next nine months, when I open this up and I'm looking for the things that are permanent, remember we were talking about focus on what's permanent? I'm coming right at the beginning and saying, hey, please, I'm dedicating my money. I'm dedicating my sex. I'm dedicating my possession. I'm dedicating this to you, my pleasures to you. I need you to help me with them. Everything we're told in the scriptures, everything that we do for Jesus Christ, our relationship with him, is useful because it's permanent, it's not temporary. The music team's going to come up and help me end with a quick song here, and I'm all done. And you don't have to listen to this anymore. The other thing that Jeremiah says, all right, as they're coming down, here's what Jeremiah says. It says that they were following empty things and became empty themselves. All I want to say is this. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ, I know some of us had trusted in the rules before. That's not what I'm talking about. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ in his perfection to rescue you, begin your relationship today. Our prayer team's over there. Be happy to pray with you about that. That's the radical difference. And if that doesn't make sense to you, good. Push into that. Because the Bible says it's a mystery. Push into that. See, what does that mean? What does that mean? It's so counter to our minds. What does that mean? But begin a relationship with Christ. Dedicate your pleasures to him. They're hollowing us out. They don't work. And keep coming after God for the next nine months and say, you know what, God? Here's my problem. Look, look, I said this at the beginning. You're all going to say the same thing when this is over. You got to. I'm like, I'm saying it to myself. Gosh, John, thanks for all the information. I'm still going to be like the dog chasing the wind. I'm going to chase the car. I'm still going to go after the money. I'm still going to go... After the, the sex, only with her over here, but, right, I'm still going to look for satisfaction, right? Are you following me? I'm still, thank you for the information, but I'm still going to do it because it's in me. I'm saying take it to Christ for the next nine months and just and see what he can do with it.
if you bring it before him over and over again. I am end with a story about poison ivy. Anybody had poison ivy before? Poison ivy? I hate poison ivy. I hate it. I had about 20 years ago. It just like wrecked my life for two weeks. It was just terrible, terrible. Well, for the first time in 20 years, I got poison ivy again this summer. Man, I just had it all over me. It was just so bad. You know, when you listen to everybody's opinion, you read online, you do everything, right? Everything but go to the doctor because... Only doctor, I mean, I mean, only people go to the doctor are sissy. So you're not going to go figure it out yourself. Just like you're going to figure life out yourself. Go figure it out yourself. But after laying awake for like five nights and not being able to sleep and you're starting to lose your brain, right? And you're itching all over the place and you can't sleep. And you start to freak out. You put the lotions, you got lotions on. I read somewhere on the internet that you should take a shower. I was taking a shower every hour, man. I was the cleanest person alive. But still, I was itching like crazy. And here's the thing about the, here's the, thing about the scratching. Here's the thing about the scratching. You just think to yourself, man, if I just have one big, good scratch, it'll just go away. And so you do. So you give in and you just, ah, I just all of my bleeding, but I'm scratching. And for five seconds, for five seconds, it feels so good. You know what I'm saying? And then it comes back with a vengeance. Do you know what I mean? What was my answer? I had to go to a doctor. I had to go to a doctor. And I'm encourage you, you've got to take it to a person, and his name is Jesus Christ, and ask him, how he can help you scratch that itch that all of us actually feel. Okay? Prayer team's going to be here. We're going to sing this song. If you're new, I'd love to meet you at Grace and Five right over here. Can we all stand and let's pray together? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for every single person in this room. Every person is very special in your eyes, and I want to ask your blessing upon us. We all have this tremendous desire to scratch that itch, but God, it's leaving us empty. Fill us up, Jesus, with a relationship with you that truly satisfies. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.